0: Zach video from Boston Speaks Up, I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton, and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here with Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Hack Diversities, Angela Liu. Hi, Angela.
1: Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me.
0: It's wonderful to have you. Thanks for joining me on this Wednesday in July. Um, how's your How's your summer going so far? Uh,
1: it's It's going. I think we're in um in a heartening position with uh, our program right now. Um, but definitely time is um, a, a constructor.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, I want to sort of unpack your role at, at hack diversity and sort of more broadly at, um, new England venture capital association. So what I'm going to do is just br- read a brief, brief summary, um, of your background, and then we can kind of dive into the conversation.
1: great.
0: Okay. So Angela Liu is the director of hack diversity, the workforce development division of the new England venture capital association. Launched in 2017, Hack Diversity partners with Boston's fast-growing tech teams to not only increase the representation of Black and uh, Latinx technologists in the innovation economy, but also evolve organizational practices to support retention and promotion of that talent. By the end of 2020, Lou will have scaled up operations, community, and curriculum to support a network of 150-plus Hack Fellows to contribute to 25-plus companies including Drift, Rapid7, Liberty Mutual, Tamr, and Vertex. Prior to joining Nevka, Lou spent three years at MIT building pipelines towards STEM education access for students historically underserved and underrepresented in STEM fields. A 2020 Spark Boston Impact winner, Lou is a 1.5 generation immigrant from China and first generation college student who studied science, technology, and international affairs at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. Now, Angela, help me. I I just breezed past trying to pronounce the city you were born in China. How do you say it?
1: Um, in Mandarin is Guangzhou, uh, but I'm Cantonese, so it's, um, Guangzhou.
0: Guangzhou. Yes. Got it. And so you were born, you were born there. So that's, and that's close to Hong Kong.
1: Yes. It's one of the, uh, main port cities of mainland China. China that's close to Hong Kong
0: got it got it um and probably don't did you like do you do you you were two when you moved to the u.s so do you have any memories what are your earliest memories of your childhood do they do they go back to two
1: um no not at all but i um my entire mom's side of the family is still there so we uh go back and visit um every three years or so or we or we try to covid has definitely thrown a wrench in things
0: yeah um yes it has um And as as an aside, I I have some uh, family connectivity to China. My, my grandfather, my mother's father lives in Shenzhen. Oh, cool. um, And is married to a Chinese woman. Yeah. He's married to a Chinese woman. And he is this like interesting, like Willie Loman character where like, Mm -hmm. he's just always just been like, chasing this like international sort of sales business development um sort of role and when my mom was growing up like she lived in singapore for eight years and she went to singapore american high school and that's like her she has this like really cool like high school alumni network that's all around the world and then my grandfather like the family all moved to the states but my grandmother my grandfather moved to thailand and he worked in um, he opened a, he like helped open a, like a, like a factory in Karat and lived in wow. Thailand for a while. And my brother and I visited him when I was like 19 years old. Um, and then he moved to China. And at one point, like my, my grandmother had passed and like, he fell in love with a Chinese woman and he married a Chinese woman and he, and he works in Shenzhen. And he's like kind of a myst- mysterious figure. Cause it's like, He's not super digitally savvy. So he just emails. And so like <laughs> they just communicate have communicated through written emails for a couple decades. Um, but yeah, he wow. he he lives in he lives in China. So maybe I, and I've said to myself, wow. I said to my mom, like, I kinda wanna then COVID hit. I'm like, well, I wanna go, I wanna go visit that part of the world. I wanna see see my grandfather, I'll make, you know, yeah. maybe after COVID, I'll check it out.
1: Yeah. What a life though. That's, 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 I'm sure he has some stories. That's amazing.
0: That's kind of me being like the media producer. I'm like, I'm going to bring a recorder and just like okay. capture his stories while I can. That's, that's kind of my right, mindset. Yeah. Right. And then capture it yeah, for all okay. my cousins and everyone back in the States.
1: Yeah. Um, So I actually have not been anywhere in China besides my hometown, because every time we go, you know, with our limited (laughs) vacation days that we have in the States, um, I I feel guilty, like traveling when I can be spending time with my grandma and my cousins. I see once every three years. So um, I've never been to any parts of China besides um, my hometown.
0: Oh, wow. I mean, that makes sense though. It's like even friends that come that are from Boston, I'm from here. Like they'll come back to Boston and they're like, Hey, I'm back for the weekend, but I can't hang out because I'm just going to maximize my time with like my mom and my sister and my grandmother. Um, do you have aspirations of like a sabbatical someday or some sort of way where you can like go for like a month?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm super passionate about traveling. I think my ideal job, not that I don't love, what I do now, uh, is following in the footsteps of like um, Anthony Bourdain's career. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I would love to, if, if given the opportunity to really live um, in other countries for extended periods of time and um, yeah, and, and learn and, and listen and, uh, and contribute to their, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, like learn and learn about and and sort of consequently share the, the culture that you're experiencing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think like, um, it just, they're so, I mean, this gets like super, <laughs> um, broad but just there's so much you don't know right so i am just like i just want to be a sponge and experience as much of the world and perspectives and um cultures and societies and uh, way we shape societies as as much as possible and and kind of see why people have like nations and states have grown uh, and cultures have grown the way they have uh, and being very mindful of that in America where we often I, I have to find when I'm traveling that um, so many people know what's going on in American society and no one in America or not at least so a lot fewer Americans um, has any idea what's going on beyond uh, American happening so
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's what, I mean, part of it is like a media and entertainment kind of story, totally. right? Like yeah. I was talking to AK at Quaker a couple episodes ago and he was saying like, he almost felt more like warmly accepted as a black man abroad because like everyone yeah. like cultures abroad, like they see, like, you know, they view America as this, this like, melting pot of people and they view people of color as like amazing athletes that they see. Like, like he was saying like, you know, like they saw me as this, like, you know, six, three or so like tall, like, you know, well put together sort of fit, you know, black man. And like they associated me with like the basketball players they see in the NBA and they they like adored me. And he's like I right. he's like I felt more like accepted and adored and in and, you know, overseas than I do sometimes when I'm in the States. Um which I think is um it's odd, but that's 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 true. That's his reality. It's like one of those things that um I guess to, 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 to segue a little bit into your work at hack diversity, like, you, you know, you're, you're talking about following the footsteps of Anthony Bourdain, like learning about cultures and, 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 and then like being a sponge. And then, and then sort of, you know, it seems to me based on the work you've done to date, the work you're doing now, like, you know, in, in part to put that expanded world view, view to, to work, to help better society, um, so can you speak, you know, speak, speak to that a little bit? Like what, what, and where, where does that come from? Like you're, you know, growing up, like, you know, was, was that instilled in you by, by your parents, uh, your parents, your peers, like, where does it come that, that you have this insatiable appetite to learn about peoples of the world and then really make, um, you know, di- you know, diversity and, um, equality and inclusion, like, um, the most important things of sort of like the community you're a part of in Boston?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, So I grew up in a very, I would say, um, very traditional conservative Chinese household. And um, we... And as immigrants, my I think um, a lot of immigrants or 1.5 generation immigrants uh, like myself, uh, which the definition I think is, is um, uh, the official definition is uh, individuals who immigrated to the U.S. or to another country or whatever, um, mm-hmm. but uh, younger when they were younger um, than 12. Mm-hmm. So you kind of like are you're, you have like a split identity and you kind of grow up and not knowing kind of not being one enough or, or um, you're just very confused as to who you're supposed to be and how people perceive you and you have conflicting values and, um, uh, and aspirations and what your parents may set up for you immigrating to America to give you these opportunities. But there's a sense of play by the rules. So you like, don't, don't color outside the lines because we just want to survive and, and we want to be accepted. Right, mm-hmm. um, and I think because I grew up in such a um, a bit of a myopic, closed upbringing as to don't color outside the lines too much because you might get kicked out or you might like not be um, you might not get the pass to to succeed and grow. I I think there's a, always been a bit of a And I'm not sure where exactly this comes from—a bit of a (laughs) contrarian spirit in me—and I'm very attracted to. Well, you, I'm not supposed to do this, but what's out there, and how, like you're telling me I can't do this, but why? And wanting to know the why, and wanting to to know and experience something that I'm not used to, so that I can learn and and decide for myself. so I think that's kind of like the roots of of um, my interest to learn and and talk to um, people and become friends with people and learn about like their experiences growing up and um, and and just, just that's how I've always been like growing up with my friends and um, the like opportunities I, I sought out and the like classes and whatever I, I picked. Um, all the way throughout college, I, I um, my, I have, like, I have such a big conglomeration of things. I kind of switched back and forth between in my degree that I pursued because I couldn't decide like what I want, like, I, I just wanted to learn about everything before I made the decision. So I think the downside to that is I'm, um, maybe it could be classified as a very anti commitment person. <laughs> um, cause I just want to see and taste the sample before I like. Because when I'm in that something I'm all in. Uh, yeah. So so that I think's the root of it. But then also like as I have grown up and um, with my how my trajectory has um, developed and, and taken place, it I reflect a lot on the positions, like escalating positions of privilege that I. Um, uh, have gained and um, have benefited from, uh, obviously the beginning was like harder, and then now I'm in a, in a position where I feel like it's a huge responsibility and it's incumbent on anybody who has grown up from meager beginnings or um, have uh, evolved from hard circumstances or, or lower socioeconomic circumstances or discrimination or, or what have you. To then um, listen and question the status quo and break cycles, yeah. and that, and, and and I think especially within the innovation economy, we, for some reason, apply uh, innovation and in a plot in a plot of innovation innovation principles on a, in so many aspects of things, with the exception of a bunch of social challenges that are integral to what I would consider your organization growth or um, or or the audiences you serve or the communities and. And so, like, there's a responsibility in tech, I would say, to, as you're growing, make sure that it's an inclusive of the, the people you're serving and, and people who might be giving you money um, for your products uh, for that. So, so that's the kind of the snowballing um, consideration that I, that I have. I'm not, I'm not even sure if I, yeah. at this point, have diverged off far off your question that I'm uh, so making sense.
0: But. You're making it. Well, you're making a ton of sense. You're, you're just, you're just um, you're, you're more beautifully um, expanding upon the question with like a, a pretty grandiose answer, which is, which, which one of the things, I mean, you said a lot of good things there, but one thing that I really like that I want to unpack a little more right now is the idea of the responsibility of those, maybe from more like meager, um, you know, modest, humble upbringings, and, and to as they're climbing and achieving success, to challenge the sort of um, the status quo uh, amongst those in power. I mean, that's you say that. I mean, that immediately resonates yeah. with me, like personally. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I mentioned this to you when we chatted like the last go around when you and I first met and talked about like. Um, you know, my desire to, to have you on the podcast, which I'm, I'm really grateful we're having this conversation. But I mean, even just, I mean, and, and I, there's a certain amount of privilege that I've realized comes with, you know, my existence that, I, that I've only kind of come to realize in the last maybe five years and I'm 35 yeah. now. But like, I mean, I always like, it was the son of a UPS driver. And my mom was in a of jobs and like, you know, no one went to college. And so like me going to college was like an accomplishment and then like getting yeah. a job, you know, my dad's goal for me was to not, you know, do a labor job and to work at a desk. Like that was yeah. the goal, you know, that was my, you know, and, and I've continued to raise my ceiling in life. Yeah. And, 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 but, it, but like my, you know, I appreciate that my parents always set like a ceiling that was like aspirational for me, but achievable. But each time yeah. I've achieved it, I've been like, well, uh, I, well, first of all, like life's expensive. Like I got that desk <laughs> job after the $50,000 a year school, but the job only pays 30 grand a year. So like, how's that yeah. going to work? Um, yeah. and, and, but as, as time's gone on and, um, you know, I've, found more success, like it's come with like, first of all, like a severe questioning of those in authority, like, like where early on in in my career, I thought, you know, was, um, perhaps me being misguided. But now later in my career, I'm realizing like, Oh no, like those, you know, some of those people that I met that were in positions of authority, like I challenged them for a reason.
2: Like,
0: yeah, it's kind of bullshit how they ran things and how they treated people and how they treated women and how they treated that person. Like, um, yeah, no, that's not cool. And I want to keep achieving more success because it will only be through like my success can I then have like leverage and strength and a platform to, um, to help, you know, spark change and change this this bullshit. And so that's why, yeah. like, you know, when I moved back to Boston a couple of years ago and started this podcast, like it was 2018 and, you know, right out of the gates, first few podcasts, it was like, I want to go talk to Marty Fuller at at the Dearborn STEM Academy and talk about like, I, I heard that, you know, they're doing some really cool things to help, um, you know, lift up the, 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 the children of Roxbury and kind of like expose them to the innovation economy because it, because it may as well be in the other side of the country, the way that there's been connectivity in, in the the years to date. And it's so like, those are the types of things that I'm interested in because, because through discovering and understanding like all these um, amazing kind of progressive movements to help both lift underrepresented people up um, and also like create pipelines to jobs. And on top of that, like push big organizations to, um, rethink and redevelop and reconstitute their cultures in a way that's more inclusive. Like these are very complicated things to do, but like you only do it like by putting in the work and doing it brick by brick. So, so I, you know, I've, I've, found the dearborn stem academies they found the you know the resilient coders and the black tech pipelines and the tech for hoods and and there's there's like there's something about Boston. Like you, you said earlier, like, you know, there's, I didn't want to be tied down. You know, you're sort of like, you've always been, you know, maybe I think in a, in the right way, like non-committal in the sense that like you want to explore different lanes and avenues, but you stayed in Boston. And I think that's interesting. And like, I came back to Boston because I was like, you know what, there's a social agenda to the, especially like the young, (laughs) like the, the, the popular, you know, certain population of Boston of like, you know, like, you fairly gave Boston a grade of D like Boston companies. And like, they're like, sort of like, I think, I think the question I asked was, like diversity and inclusion. I'm not looking at it right now, but you're like, yeah, it's like a D, you know, like, let's, yeah. let's, let's be fair. And like, there's a long ways to go, but the fact that like we're having this conversation and the fact that we're being honest about that grade and the fact that so many other people are being honest about that grade and, and interested in the solution is what it, it makes me, um, optimistic as a father of a three-year-old daughter, like that the future that, you know, we can kind of set ourselves up in, at least in the community of Boston could almost become a blueprint, which I imagine it, it is what you alluded to in one of your answers about like hack diversity, like evolving into other, you know, cities and regions. Like, can we not have both can Boston not just achieve better success, um, from a diversity and inequality and, and an inclusion perspective here first, but then do what it does in tech all the time and provide, you know, the infrastructure, the framework, the, the sort of the blueprint to hand over, you know, to hand off to other communities, not just around the States, but maybe globally that would benefit from um, sort of like, Uh, best practices on on improving um those pathways for you know underrepresented communities and and truly um becoming a, a community that that embraces um people from diverse backgrounds and 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 really sort of um has a has a has a intentionally focused sort of balance of of opportunity um you know, expressed and, 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 and hopefully realized by a lot more different types of people, you know, year over year. So I just said a lot there, but that's the the, hearing you talk that that pulled, that's (laughs) what it pulled out of me. And so I, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate what you're doing um
2: and i yeah, and I want to learn more
1: johnny yeah. yeah that was well yeah thank you thank you for sharing that perspective because um i, th- I think there was so much richness there i actually like dotted from some notes i wanted to like move yeah. back to because um some of the, the points you brought out I, I think are so applicable and relevant to this conversation um because i guess point about like um kind of you like working on this Boston's microcosm of these challenges and these issues. Um, like Boston is um, by all means like the um, the perception of Boston is that it's uh, um, a, a very racist city, right? And but but as America as a whole, I think one of the biggest challenges to moving forward is accepting that they're or acknowledging that like Racism is a system, and that is just like a fact of how America was built and, and right. um, how it's been founded. So, I think w- with regard to the responsibility, there's like many layers to that, right? So, when I was speaking about um, my responsibility, like reflecting on this, the position of privilege I am now um, versus my the circumstances of my upbringing, which are worked for um, as immigrant uh, uh, at at the time that I was growing up. Uh, I definitely experienced and I've observed um, my parents uh, being discriminated against and experiencing more racist circumstances when I was growing up than than I do now by by a long shot. And I think with the the evolution of Asian Americans in American society, um, the acceptance by the white um, communities have evolved a lot more than... uh, than um, of of black and Latinx communities, mm-hmm. and I'm not re- I'm not equating by any means experiences, um, but I feel like there are, there are aspects I relate to, but I also see from like a bird's eye view, um, the tr- the the progression of of that perception and acceptance in um, upper echelons of like education of um, white sector industries, um, or sorry, white collar sector industries, uh, and and to me that there's a sense of responsibility that I feel that hey, now that I'm like more white adjacent, if you will, in, in mm-hmm. perceptions of my identity and race and the privileges of um, how I might be stereotyped, um, there I feel a, a strong sense of responsibility to ensure that I, now that I am maybe in a place where I can question the status quo without immediately being fearful or in, in a sense of um, being shut out or, or the consequences are as heavy, then if, I, if a black man were to question the status quo, right? Um, I feel like that I have a sense of responsibility in that sense because of my growth of how I'm perceived, my identity is perceived in society. Right. But then I also feel like there's responsibility that comes from as a white individual, um who is uh like even if like kind of holding all things consistent like poverty levels education levels all of that there is so much data around how a white college drop sorry a high school dropout is still over over their lifetime will make so much more money than a black uh, bachelor's Graduate. Um, and then, like, wow, the really? yeah, yeah. Um, and I am happy to, like, you know, have long data wow. or, or I don't yeah. have the numbers off the top yeah. of my head immediately, but that is definitely the case. And then, in terms of funding for school systems, holding all things equal, um, like in kind of uh, districts in, of, of poverty levels, um, low, like high poverty uh, white this predominantly white school districts still get so much more funding than high poverty school districts serving um majority communities of color and there's so much data around that like holding race of our poverty lines equal because you know race, wealth and race are kind of tied and there's a commercial debate around well, like what is more important first and like prioritize um, right. it's clear that their race is a huge factor um, to opportunity. And, and, and I know we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but yeah. that's my biggest, like, um, kind of, uh, like sticking or not. Yeah. Biggest sticking point with the term of meritocracy and how tech uses meritocracy in particular. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just wanted to like dig, so, so, yeah. just responding to some of the things you brought up. Um, I, I wanted to dig into a bit further cause I think they're so important, um, to talk about and, and how like, America is so uncomfortable with talking about race, despite the fact that I don't think you can solve any problems until we get more comfortable with this is a fact and this is objectively like what's happening. And we need to just accept that and, and then grow from there without yeah. trying, trying to debate if you're racist or not, or if, like your, your intentions are pure yeah. or not. Like that doesn't matter to an extent because it's, that's just the fact, that's just a system. And, and you need to, whether you think that's true or not that's you need to accept the the objectivity of of those circumstances, and only then can you can you achieve progress forward
0: that is that is so well said um there's a couple new thoughts you've triggered I want to respond to one that I thought was particularly um well put and 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 honestly something I hadn't necessarily like. I I certainly haven't said it myself. I mean, you're, you're an Asian American, so I I shouldn't be saying, necessarily saying this, although like, you know, now kind of I'm internalizing and sort of metabolizing this point you made of like the the sort of Asian Americans broadly, like almost out, outflanking, like, you know, black and Brown Americans as being more white adjacent. And, And I think that that's really important type of verbiage for, um, for folks to, to hear and like yeah. truly like internalize and just think about yeah. and reflect on like, you know, why, you know, and why is that? And, is, and, and is it, is it because, you know, Asian Americans are like more white, you know, is it because, you know, what, you know, like, and, and like, is it literally like, what, what is it that has led to, um, that reality that you feel and, 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 and then, and then sort of like, and, and quantifiably proven, you know, more broadly, like, you know, removing the, you know, the Asian American portion of it for a moment, like, you know, why is it that, you know, impoverished sort of, you know, white communities still get much more funds than, you know, communities of color, like that, like th- those numbers are, are fact. And so like, yeah. you know, we, you know, and so I think, ha- so, so the this type of dialogue too, like, and this is like one of the other like kind of future, you know, future points I was thinking of like off of that, like, I appreciate that, that the manner in which you put it so well, it's, it's one of the things that i want to kind of pull out of this podcast and, and make sure people kind of at least see, you know, you know, as we're promoting it um, on Boston, o and and on Twitter, like if, if, if you can't come listen to this full conversation and you really should like this is one of the this is one of the messages like you know you need to you need to consider you know as as a member of the community like that, you know that yeah. we're you know we're accelerating certain peoples and and not ex and and, and and supporting certain peoples and not others and that's just like that's a fundamental yeah. issue that we all have to you know accept and, and deal with I also think that there's a way to I was just thinking about like hack diversity as a platform and you know as a platform that is applied in different ways and you know obviously right now like we just have like digital events we're not coming back to physical world events soon but we will Um, yeah i I almost like want to set the the mandate on organizations in boston like you know you can't you can't host an event in the city of boston without having like a hack diversity like panel, and and like let me give you an example. Like, and I loved this. So like, I work in the media and advertising industry, and one of the rare times in the year when the media and advertising industry just dis- descends on Boston is when Progress Partners, who do some M and banking and some investments in the media and advertising industry, Progress Partners has their annual Progress Connect event in October. And last year they did at Gillette Stadium and I, and their keynote, they had a keynote speaker and I was so stoked because I'm good friends with Sam Thompson. who's a partner of progress. And his keynote speaker was David Delmar Santias from mm-hmm. resilient coders. And I was like, Oh, yeah. like Sam asked me he's like, Oh, I saw you, know, I saw you talk to David for your podcast. Like, like he, like we had him, I, like he identified as a great person to have come speak at progress. And I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is like, first of all, like, David is amazing. And also because I love that progress connect, like progress partners is now doing that at every event. Like they're having like their, their sort of DEI sort of like speaker at events moving forward. And they made that decision last year, which I got to give them credit for. But like, I almost think that it's like, this is such a issue. you know, like I I held myself back from doing it, but like it warrants it. This is such a fucking important issue that, that any, any, um, you know, any organization hosting an event really should look in the mirror and and like, Hey, is our, is our programming reflective of the, of the, of the fundamental human rights problems that we as a community need to need to be having a conversation about? Because, because you're right, Angela, like the conversation is difficult to have, but we can't, you know, we can't be cowards about this. Like we have the have the conversation. Yeah. So so yeah, and I imagine maybe that's some of like hack diversity's mission is to like, you know, I don't know if infiltrates the right word, but like like, you know, be so um build such great connectivity with the innovation economy. That you're really sort of embraced into a lot of the different types of programming, whether it's events or media productions or whatnot, so that you can't avoid the conversation in Boston, I guess yeah. is what I'm getting at. And like Hack Diversity yeah. is a really good conduit through which that conversation can be um, honored and sort of like carried out with a level yeah. of con- consistency so that we're actually progressing together.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the questions you uh, asked me was, uh, like, I was hacked for a power of the organization, and I, the three points I, I um, like, stand out really strongly to me is um, there was ground zero intention of Hack Diversity as an organization to tackle the lack of representation of Black and Latinx communities in particular from um both the company responsibility, like organizational right. responsibility and challenge development. And then um, secondly, the most very important, and I think if I, have, if I didn't have this, I would be like, yeah, this this organization's gonna fail. Um, the the network and ability of the co-founders, Jeff Busgang, who is a VC and um, very um, has has pulled a lot of weight in the ecosystem and then Jody Rose, of course the president of the NEBCA. Um, their ability and network to get industry decision makers to commit capital to the mission was, was a key starting point for me. And then lastly, um, for myself, uh, focusing my kind of my uh, um, how I would want to work is the challenge to build something from a blank slate. So I, all those things converged for me as to why I joined Hack. because prior to Hack, w- I've been working, um, my entire professional directory has been uh, in, in uh, mission aligned organizations of Hack. So um, I have about like close to a decade now of experience working in. Uh, environment kind of at the intersection of STEM education access, uh, workforce development, and, and economic mobility. So, those the fact that Hack started and launched with those three, thing, uh, sorry, those, those three opportunities and things that um, from the ground, from the get go, was established. Uh, was what really drove me to come on board, and we're in, in our fourth cycle of the program now. And I, I I think, given the recent current events, um, it's of um a, a brutality and Black Lives Matter, police brutality and Black Lives Matter. Um, it's it's been very interesting how like on top of COVID circumstances, how that was like a um, what's it called like a match, like a but like bigger than a match. Um, because this, all these things aren't the like new things right so there was like a flashpoint that companies realize and maybe because people have more like screen time now that COVID has forced um, virtual uh, engagement interaction and in conversation um, that companies are seeing or having to confront that this is a, a is a need not a want and I think previously with how we've engaged with partners, it's um, the intention is there. The leadership kind of buy-in is there, but there hasn't been enough of a momentum that it's a—it it was still a want. You know, it was still a good to have. Like we believe in this, but it wasn't a mandate that this is required and, mm. to to move forward. And I mm. think that's with recent events, that's um, been the most interesting thing to observe and experience um, with with um, companies uh, reaching out to us, expressing interest an interested in partner or hire fellows. Um, and, and committing capital uh, behind behind those words. Yeah. In addition, I think even more so than capital, it's um, um, hopefully the interest to sustain the commitment, because this is not going to be solved in a year, right? Your company isn't going to be over a year, even if you partner with us. Like we're, we're not magicians, <laughs> we're yeah. not alchemists. Like it's not, we're we're, gonna, we're not going to make your company inclusive within a year, and if that's your expectations, then you're setting yourself and, and us up to fail. Because this requires sustained effort in in um, buy-in across different all different tiers of the organization, not just um, leadership uh, finding something away, not just the HR department, not just the DEI uh, or culture team. It requires um, people at all tiers of management to um, to to consider this as part of their goals for organization success and individual success in your role, um, like as you know, as managers or mentors, or what have you. So
0: no well said i I actually want so I want to double click on the what the partners sort of come to you for, and then sort of like the what like kind of like the what hack diversity offers so like could you kind yeah. of like expand on on that a little bit?
1: yeah, so um hack uh, our core programming. we have is an eight-month model so we have parallel programming so our main i guess like two clients of the core programming of eight months is talent Uh, so uh, black and latinx technology um so that's like the client on the talent side and then the client on the partner side is um, organizations who um, both, like have the intention and believe DEI is valuable. Like we're not trying to convince you that DI is valuable. You're coming to us like understanding and valuing DEI um, and, and diversity inclusion and wanting to I- I- improve the uh, inclusivity inclusivity and representation numbers of your teams. So, mm-hmm. so so that's the client, the partner client. Uh, and throughout the eight months, we have parallel streams of programming. Um, mm-hmm. So, for the students, the talent, it, all the students are coming in to us with the foundations, technical skills that are ready. So, we are not, um, we're different from our Brazilian coders in the sense that we're not a boot hoops- camp, we're not training anybody up from scratch. For students, are coming to us through um, talent sources that might be underestimated in a traditional tech hiring evaluation protocol. So, students, we, we, we Uh, prioritize our identification of talent um, across community colleges, boot camps, people going through career transitions, um, into the tech economy, um, state schools, Um, so those are target talent sources that we go to, we recruit from, we develop relationships with, um, and we look at talent through. But of course, if you're coming to us and you're applying, from Harvard or from MIT or Northeastern, you still look at your application and you consider you, um, but we don't kind of like actively go there and um, and try to uh, recruit their students because we because their their support structure is way more robust than students coming out of a, uh, like a North Shore community college. Um, and not not that they don't have those, but that they're like um they're underfunded and they uh, are overextended. Uh, our, we have a great relationship with the team at North Shore Community College, um, and they they do so much for their students. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that they they um, don't do a good job. No, um, but so, but uh, yeah.
0: And if you wouldn't mind me pushing you on a tangent here before we continue on yeah. the on the way you work with a partner, let's let this kind of speaks to another point you brought up that I took a note on that I didn't, didn't double click on yet, which is the meritocracy. I asked you about this in the, you know, the pre-podcast, like about the meritocracy trap. There's a really good book out now called the meritocracy trap. by um, a professor from Yale, whose name I'm blanking on, which, which like, I guess this is kind of what you're alluding to though, which is like the, there's cause there's plenty of programs and there's plenty of, a you know, there's, there's plenty of, you know, diversity, you know, diverse workforce quotas you can fill by just going and recruiting from like the Ivy league, you know, because, and, 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 and I I guess and rather than me say much more, like explain to me and to listeners, like how you view that meritocracy trap, because I do think you just kind of scratched into like how you address it a little bit with like, you know, helping like maybe the under, you know, like those who are punching above their weight, like North shore community college, Northern Essex community college comes to mind. That's, that's where I, I grew yeah. up in the American yep. Valley, but like, um, and, and how are you trying to like, at least just make like level the playing
2: field?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, I haven't read the, that exact book the their trap. Um, but my, uh, like, my viewpoint on meritocracy as a concept is that and I think this is like generally like agreed upon for scholars and, and people doing research on, on the topic is that it rationalizes um, the ine- inequitable uh, distribution of power and privilege and, and advantage yeah and in in if you look at how it plays on a hiring. It's when we prioritize and value candidates based on where they receive their education as like an immediate like checkbox on you're, you're qualified, you're competitive, you can do this job and, and and dismiss all other candidates that don't fit into like what we consider to be like elite uh, are in competitive and highly selective uh, institutions or talent pathways. Um, so it not only prioritizes and values based on where they receive education, but um, ignores like the bandwidth to dedicate capital to education um, without considering that all the stepping stones leading to access um, and success at elite institutions. So we're not even talking about the, the black and Latinx uh, and communities, of, um, like, uh, other communities of color, who get into those institutions, but then maybe like filter out, right? Um, so the those leading to that access are littered with obstacles, um, and I and alluded to this. For Black and Latinx uh, communities in particular, and I alluded to this earlier when I uh, mentioned like the funding for like school districts and for public school districts. So I think in Boston, in particular, again, I, I the number, I don't have like exact numbers off the top of my head, but I um, if I'm not uh, completely getting my data across, Massachusetts is the most educated state in the in the nation, I believe. Um, yeah. Across, like yeah, just such t- like density of of, mm-hmm. of education. But um, if you look at where Black and Latinx communities can afford education, it's um, predominantly enrolled in community colleges, which are I think under uh, underfunded on average across the nation. So, if we're serious about meritocracy, we need to give funding to the communities where, where Black and Latinx communities. Or, or education pathways of our black and black communities are right. living, um, geographically, um, and then going to school and, um, uh, and, and just, it just kind of like snowballs and scaffolds and escalates. So if we're only saying, okay, you're not, you're not going to be, you know, a good fit for this company because you didn't go to an Ivy league. Well, well like you're, you're, you're feeding into the, the, uh, like a systemic racism, uh, versus, um, being intentional about making your teams more inclusive. So that's my
0: well, take on it. Um, yeah, no, well, well said. Um, I, I think that, and, and I, I guess, the, in the, I mean, the takeaway being it's it's really important to invest in, like, which, what the institutions are aside, it's important to invest in all communities. And statistically yeah. speaking, you know, communities of color are, you know, in the education that exists in those communities of color, whether it's public schools, which are under, under, um, resourced under invested yeah. in, and then the, the community colleges that serve those communities are, uh, under resourced relative to, um, you know, bigger institutions and like, you know, a hub like Boston. So it's interesting you brought up North shore community college because, um, I I moved up to Beverly like a little over a year ago, so I'm like sort of yeah. in that area. And North Shore Community College is in Danvers, and I don't know much about it. Although maybe you can you can educate me a bit on what Hack's doing with with the with the school. And then who knows? Maybe there's even like a, a program or something that I can participate in there because I'd love to do that. But but what is it specifically with North Shore Community College that that you're doing? Like what's that what's that work look like?
1: So we we um, partnered with Lord Shore, and uh, we try to partner with all like 16 of the community colleges in the, in the Commonwealth um, to inc- um, only not only like advertise and then speak about the opportunities and the, uh, um, of hack and what it offers to launch your career, but we are very intentional about helping students um like make sure that we're tracking the application and then coaching them on how um, best to. Apply and what are what where, where are things we're evaluating around? So, we're just like very clear on uh, our expectations of you. We, we believe in your potential and your success, and this is an opportunity in showcasing how, how we will support them to launch their careers in the tech sector. Um, and we do this not only with North Shore, but across um, the, a bunch of different community colleges as well as state schools. So, uh, like Thunder Hill, we have a strong partnership with. Boston. Um, we are also limited, I will say, in in a from a geographic sense. So, um, if uh, Northern Exes was a, a school, we we every year we try to get more students from. But the commute to most of our events and, and the the jobs in Boston, um, sometimes like there isn't a, and we're not able to subsidize that. Then then it kind of um, is a moot point because the access isn't there and that's something we internally as a team on HAC we explore a lot about how can we enable access and summer transportation and a geographical um access to these opportunities uh so that's like those are some of the things we're considering but in kind of like moving back to your original question that i think i don't know if, if i answered or not about how we support students in general of like how we're not we're not a boot camp but we um look at students coming in and they just with the foundation and those technical skills and we give them um, project-based experiences to strengthen and Apply those skills so that they have practical experience. Like, ideally, the intention is that they have some practical experience um, going into the internships, as well as we do um, a bunch of training and coaching uh, on the professional development, like Workspace Code of Conduct, Industry Awareness, uh, and Growth Pathways. Information in that's education. Great. That's great. So there's so that yeah. so that network of uh, of support and conservation support going into yeah. the tech ecosystem is there through hack.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, one of the things that um one of the things that Paris Chandler brought up to me from from Black Tech Pipeline was sort of like like when she went through Resilient Coders and got her like some of her first like you know first internship and first job like she felt, um, she didn't felt like totally accepted. Neither did like, you know, she had like another, you know, another, she was like, you know, I had another black girl in, in this group with me and we had, it you know, we had a tough time kind of acclimating and, but also yeah. felt like, but also felt like once they were there and you know, they, like, there wasn't necessarily like a focus to help them feel welcomed. And then she felt that at her next job. And so I think what I'm hearing is like, so it, how does, how's hack diversity ac- accounting for that? Is that part of that like eight month engagement? Like what, what's for, for the companies that are providing the supply of jobs, you know, whether they're jobs or internships to the, um, the hack fellows, like what, yeah. what kind of, like, cause I imagine this is where like you have interesting IP yeah. to open source to, other like-minded organizations and just help, you know, companies, you know, have, you know, hopefully access to more readily available information so that they don't make similar um, mistakes, um, trying to welcome in because, because what I, you know, what I've been hearing and it's, you know, the anecdotal evidence is adding up is that, you know, people of color go and work in tech and they kind of get out of the tech ecosystem, what they can, but they don't yeah. feel, they don't ultimately feel warm, you know, and yeah. fuzzy and accepted.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so our fellows definitely feel, um, feel that to varying degrees. Um, and I think it really comes down to, they're more, way more likely than not. You're going to be in an environment where you are going to be the only, and that will not change overnight. Um, but I think there's a huge difference between, um, seeing other people who look like you and feeling included by people who don't look like you. And that's something we want to work with. We've, we focus a lot on working with companies on. So a core aspect of how we work with employers is we take them through a series of diversity, equity, and inclusion workshops, which impact the responsibilities and relationships between individuals, teams and organization infrastructure in building towards belonging for people um, of color and Black and Latinx, but also like uh, across a variety of... Um, it, it can be applied to a variety of underserved and uh, underrepresented groups. Um, but of course, focus especially in the current climate on um, the experiences and the realities of black uh, communities. So within an organization, you will likely not, and we can't promise that you will, you will have a mentor or a manager or um, a teammate who will look like you. But we, what we try to do is get companies to um, listen to the challenges that you have like build that sense of trust that, Hey, you can come to me and um, express things that are, are, our flags for you and we will think about that and incorporate how we will shift our practices, our protocol, our, our structure, our growth, our business decisions to fast so that you have a voice at the table. And I think that's how we need to like escalate and then snowball. Like even from a recruiting perspective, right. Instead of going to the same and I can, and I know this because I talk to companies and I ask, um, where do you recruit from? Like the hack or like outside of the, Kind of mission line organizations that have. And uh, you, and I'm, I'm sure you you know this as well, like every single company um, recruits uh, or depends on Northeastern co ops, which huge kudos to Northeastern Northeastern for a cornering the market, like literally. Yeah. Um,
0: it's amazing that another university, university hasn't, it. it's amazing that more yeah, has created amazing. the co op program to me. <laughs> like it's kind of, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, like if you hire someone from uh, Northern Essex Community College, maybe ask them, hey, like who from your team? So like who can I connect with to uh, to to get more students or build a better relationship with North Texas Community College? And then maybe if you go a step further, which is the kind of my soapbox, like close the feedback loop and say, hey, North North North, like N-E-C-C, um, these are the things we're evaluating for. We want to ensure your your students are successful. So um, here's like what you can coach and double down on. Um, so it isn't like a mystery box of. Okay, I need to like figure out what, what will make me a successful candidate. And it's just like clear that okay, these are the things we value. Oh, you're not you're not having a class on this this thing that we we care about for our roles. Maybe like here's a, a short like a short curriculum that you can ramp up before you come to into our interviews, you know? Like it's, I, I feel like sometimes we overthink things and we just need to get started. And there are very simple things and simple stuff you can do. You don't need a full like all, like no startup is for your own products. You, have, you don't have your 10-year plan, or, most, or at the very least, you don't, it, it's not like it's static, right? So you just need to start somewhere, have, have like a three-month plan, have, have a six-month plan, and then it keep iterating, just like you would with any product that you have, your business, any business model that you have. Um, so why can't we apply that to how we think about growing our teams and, um, and, and adjusting for the prototypes that we're measuring success against? Because the prototypes are going to be, um, especially in tech, uh, a white man coming
2: from yeah. a,
0: a um, elite institution. Yeah, uh, that's it's interesting. I mean, that, that's, I have a few, I have a few questions on this. Like, uh, you know, depending on like w- what areas you you maybe are focusing on more. Like, I mean, w- you know, kind of respond accordingly. I'm I'm curious. With whom do you ha- have to align with most importantly? At like some of the bigger organizations, I imagine hr i'm curious like how hr's role evolves and the and i I think to some extent um like hr needs to sort of like step up and then i'm curious like you kind of i'll use this word and and you can push back on it but like I, i feel like an ongoing almost audit of like the integration of like an increasingly diverse pipeline of 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 um employees like needs to happen and so like to the extent that like we're not just measuring success off like numbers but measuring success off of like quality you know qualitative sort of engagement and like yeah. is is important and in sort of like you know to your point it's like listen we don't have to make this you know this isn't rocket science you know we don't have to this is me playing back what you said, like, it's, it's not, let's not overcomplicate it and, and let, you know, let's, you know, create a feedback loop and, and, and et cetera, sort of where, you know, where's the, you know, to me, like the skeptic in me is like, well, where's the uh, level of accountability and does it fall on HR and, and, and like, and what's the process through which you're accounting for that qualitative experience so that we're not just like, because this is what's going to happen, Angela, The companies already do this and will like, you know, they'll throw corporate social responsibility budgets at things. And CSR is its own big category of spending now. Right. And we are, you know, we know, and it's, the companies are going to celebrate their improved diversity numbers. And what I look to an organization like hack diversity for is like, holding the, these organizations accountable to like a better quality, you know, experience for oh, right. that increasingly diverse um, employee base.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah. what was the question? No, I mean, I, I guess, I guess so. So in that I'm curious, like who most, ideal, oh, accountability. Who yeah. You work, yeah. Like, do you work with a, like, how do you hold, like who do you work with and how do you hold like the organization accountable?
1: Yeah. So the way we work with partners is that there must be leadership buy-in. So we, in terms of, because they're like we're we're not uh, there's a cost to our services um, yeah. and our talents. Because there, our talent is valuable, and um, the the trainings that we provide are, are valuable. Um, a huge challenge for us is driving conversion of the DEI learnings and intention into iterative practical application throughout the organization once it's like dispersed. Um, and we require a constant, similar to how we recommend a support for fellows, we find it most effective when we have a constellation of uh, support within the structure. So our primary point of contact, we usually want it to be within the HR teams to get as most public, HR teams or talent acquisition teams because it's most relevant to their goals for their roles. Um, but then I think in the long term, what I, uh, my viewpoint is, um, is that there needs to be like, those values incorporated, not just like DI uh, achievements and goals should not, from my perspective, this is me, CD, as I felt, not necessarily as a representative of, of um, partners, but um, it shouldn't be its own bucket of goals, it should be incorporated throughout every every individual's goals within an organization. Exactly. So if you think about like um heart, it should be part of the talent acquisition team. It should be part of like a man like for, for, for promotion, maybe you need to require people take, like, certain numbers of trainings or you look at how, like, the, the, maybe the feedback from, like, anonymous feedback from everyone else on their team that they're managing on how they feel, like, accepted or what have you. I just feel like they're, it's, it could to be layered into every role's responsibilities and um, considerations for promotion. People, certain, like, uh, identities of people who feel like they are not successful under your management, then maybe, um, that is a training that you can provide before, um, they are eligible to manage bigger projects or bigger teams.
0: So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's helpful. I, I think that, um, the more that it, 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 you know, programs like hack diversity are sort of implemented, end to end through an organization's DNA, the better. It's kind of like, it's back to that, you know, riff we we're going off of, like, you know, to conver- you know, you have to facilitate the conversation. So therefore like you can make the argument, like no event should happen without this conversation being a part of the broader, you know, conversation about any industry, you know, market we're talking about, like, it's just, it has to become second nature. I mean, the media producer in me thinks that a lot of companies would be served well right now to, you know, creating their own like, you know, DEI series where they invite employees to provide firsthand accounts of like, or just like to, to talk openly about, you know, the, the, you know, just talk openly, honestly, about the, um, the, you know, what, you know, what uh, diversity and what, and better sort of, um, inclusion of, of underrepresented peoples in in the tech community means to them right. Like offering like a broad, like criteria and then like allowing, you know, white, brown, black, you know, all sorts you know all shades between people to you know build up an editorial calendar and allow you know everyone from the marketers to the to the programmers to have opportunities to like you know pen their you know pen their bylines for the the company blog and like have an ongoing like like dialogue where people are like expressing themselves you know and have some create an editorial process around that like there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of things when you you start thinking about how a lot of change happens. Change happens through, you know, consistent, um, communication, you know, sort of like repetition and frequency. And when you apply the, you know, when you think of the, those principles applied in the modern age, like we live in a time where it's rather simple to distribute, uh, messages. And so creating frameworks and, and regularly sort of like, you know, fostering, um, Dialogue and, and 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 helping sort of inspire the confidence for um, all people to yeah. share 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 their share their thoughts. Um, I think companies would be well served to, to do that right now. Um, yeah. I'm curious.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah I'm curious. Uh, sort of hack diversity's role to um, within you know as a subsidiary of Nebka, and also like you know what is the, what, what are the historical sort of requirements through which sort of like Nevka's members, which are venture capital firms, like, like yeah. what, what do you, you know, what is Nevka historically required venture capital firms to, um, provide beyond dollars to be a part of nevco but specifically to like embrace and create brand association with hack diversity and is that evolving and changing at all like what you know what what accountability do, do those vc members have or 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 sort of um you know what connectivity you know are they you know do they have or are they you know expected to have or participate in as you know members of an organization that has um has birthed hack diversity.
1: That's a really good uh, question. So there's multiple parts. Um, so actually, I am not very involved in the um that end of things because uh, hack diversity and the NEBCA operations are two, in a sense, like very different. We serve different audiences. Right. Uh, we have a different timeline of operations, but it was born out of the NEDC because I think the VC community um, realizes and look at their but where they where they put their investing dollars behind and um and, and kind of like how they evaluate founders based on institutions that they, they came from, etc. Um, I think there is like an acknowledgement that that is the system is needs to be uh, kind of revamped. A, a bit for their, not not a bit a bit a lot for for um, their their goals and and what their objectives are. Mm-hmm. Um, but from our end how we how TBC uh, and kind of maybe their portfolio companies tie into hack is um, we, we we look at the VC community to maybe be a, a, um, a medium through which we consider uh, partnerships. Um, with companies that have the intention to um, build their teams from the ground up with diversity values, diversity, equity, inclusion values in mind. Um, so that's something where we haven't like fully fleshed out. We're, we're internally exploring a lot of how we engage the ABC community more with Hack, But then also, as the, our alumni classes are advancing in their careers, and they, um, one of the things we, um, over the past two cycles, have introduced to them a lot is the concept of, the, uh creating products and, and how they, uh, the, the power of that, this community in proposing challenges to tackling societal, uh, uh, solutions to tackling societal challenges and connecting those ideas more with the VC community so that we broaden um, what the considerations uh, that the VC community might be evaluating as they go through their day to day and their um, their their priorities. So that, that, those are like a very, like loosely, yeah. very, you know, it's like a very initial stages of how I've been thinking about it and, and internally as a team. And then going forward, we want to make sure that we do continue, especially with our alumni pool and their, their trajectory, um, tying in those a, a lot more closely together and, and helping them grow in conjunction.
0: No, that's good. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like there's some, yeah, there's some interesting development to um to consider like like hack like hack diversity has because there's there's like a impressive and growing sort of name image and likeness to hack diversity that is creating, in my view, as a third party, incre in increasing leverage for Nevka to turn back to its um VC um organization, sort of trade members and say Like, listen, like if, you know, these are the requirements and and the expectations and the things that we expect, you know, that, 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 you know, we hope that you would embrace and, and, um, hold yourselves accountable to, or, or, you know, resources we want you to provide to, um, to sort of be a participating member of like this evolved, um, you know, focus X, Y, and Z for diversity, et cetera. So, um, I will consider me a, um, and, an and ideation um, partner in that offline. If you ever if you ever want to talk about it, but yeah. I, have, I, have, I have more thoughts on that. But I but I love that. But it, it's really impressive Um, what's been developed just in in a few years. Um, And I think you know, I put it in baseball terms, like we're in the first, we're in the first, yeah. you know, we're in the first inning. We're still in the first couple of, yeah. games of the game. You know, we got a yeah, long way yeah. to go. Um, so what so let's talk a little bit of like you know goals and and sort of like the the benchmarks for success this year. You mentioned that um you're kind of transitioning upwards of like 70 fellows into stable opportunities post summer. Um you're trying to inc- increase employee partner numbers. Um you know and and sort of like you know how's how's that how have you shifted um where you would typically be working with talent and fellows um, due to COVID-19 like embrace sort of digital practices. But is that, has that held you up at all? Have you found some ability to create some economies of scale to maybe tap into different pipelines? Like, you know, what, you know, what have been some of the changes, I guess, let's put the question this way would have been some of the changes related to COVID-19 how's that sort of like short and longer term kind of reoriented how you're connecting with both fellows and also employers and then, you know, how are you looking um, from sort of like a goal setting and goal achievement standpoint for this
2: year?
1: Yeah. So COVID, um, as with I think so many other organizations, that's forced us to um, move all our, our our programming up to date. Has over the past like three cycles, has been in person and physical. So we had to move all our programming in, in education uh, curriculum, all of that execution online. And we actually were in a lucky position that most of our fellows this year had access to stable, like, uh, tech and Wi-Fi, to, so that our attendance numbers actually went up. Because, like I mentioned, transportation and geographic barriers were a huge hub, uh, um, uh, kind of hurdle to to be able to consistently attend our workshops that we, which we hold like two two times a month for the fellows. Um, so, in, in that sense, it's actually increase participation and engagement Uh, and and going forward we were always exploring what asks for the program and our curriculum to digitize anyways because we want, we think it, it allows uh, maximal reach of talent to be able to, to take advantage of our programming. But COVID has really forced us to pilot it sooner than we anticipated. And then going forward in 2021, um, we definitely want to shift some aspects of our programming virtual to remove some of that strain on the physical uh, kind of time and commitment and um, limitations of like having a space that's big enough to hold like a hundred people and um in in like the scheduling things for travel time and stuff like that um and then for the companies uh we we also took everything virtual we haven't we don't i, I wouldn't say we it has shifted um too much our how we execute in our, in our goals because we're on track for goals. It's more, we are, it's a program we want to um, we, or we have started thinking about how do we pull, maybe like kind of pivot a little bit in not only serving Massachusetts students, but how can we highlight the Boston innovation ecosystem to talent across the nation and make Boston, mm-hmm. a, a kind of change the narrative of Boston a bit um, as to, uh, to be more welcoming or, or like intentional about welcoming communities of color so we're launching something in 2021 um called the tech truck built of a hack university <laughs> um, nice. where we're inviting students and doubling down on students coming out of HBCUs and historic uh, and hispanic serving institutions and hopefully you know assuming COVID uh um conditions we can have that take place over the summer in 2021 um and and invite students to Experience and explore, and consider careers in the Boston innovation ecosystem. Yeah. Interesting. So that's how we're yeah expanding, or intending to expand. Um, cool. Well.
2: I, I love to ask.
0: So, a couple follow ups on that. So, is it is it twofold? Like, one, expand the awareness of Boston as a hub, and sort of hack yeah. diversity as sort of the conduit through which you kind of access that the hub from other communities around the country and maybe around the world, but other, around the country, like Boston is a destination, um, where there's very progressive, um, you know, forward thinking, um, programs, uh, where you'll, you know, you as a person of color can be not only, you know, accepted, but like um be be afforded the community, the tools, the support structure to succeed. Like that's great. That's one thing I'm yeah. hearing. The other thing I, I I thought maybe that could happen too, and, and maybe I'm partly thinking about this as like almost like the media, like a brand awareness guy in me is like it's also interesting to because it's always this is like what I talked about with David um Delmar is about resilient coders. Like, he goes. There's no shortage of people that want, like, that can apply into resilient coders. My job is to increase, you know, my pipeline to employers so that there's so that our, you know, our, you know, our graduation rate and 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 job placement rate stays near 100%, right? And yeah. so I wonder, is it not also to create some brand awareness for hack diversity amongst employers in other cities so that when People, whether they're from Boston or other places kind of come through the Boston hub, like yeah, at some, in some, in some instances maybe they'll want to go back home or they'll just want to go yeah. somewhere else. And, and, and so is it, is it create, is it increasing the supply of jobs and employer partners outside the region as well?
1: Yeah. You, um, you, you're, you're, um, a sharp cookie or, or, or whatever a sharp crayon or whatever those terminology is that's exactly what we um one of our love is as well we want like some of our partners um with multiple hubs like, graphically sure. have interest to um uh, to like consider to, like you know relocating talent right so we want to be able to, um, kind of expand, expand our, uh, brand awareness and our, our, and kind of like almost like pilot a little bit, how we would work in other hubs and, uh, and, and build connections with, uh, talent, talent forces, uh, across, uh, over, like beyond Massachusetts. So this is one of, the, one of the, one of the angles as well, for sure.
0: Amazing. And thank you for the, yeah. for the compliment. I just pride myself on being an active listener. And and, um no, I mean it's 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 your I mean the the program you have you know have developed and sort of helped spearhead as as employee one. Now a few years later you're like, you're growing. Um I'm I'm fascinated by it, I'm inspired by it. I would love the opportunity to um, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to getting this conversation out and, 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 and promoting it, but also would love, I mean, we'll have to talk more offline. Like I'd love, love to create any type of alignment we can, because, um, I, I believe that, you know, back to the point I made earlier, like Boston is an interesting, Boston has a reputation issue that is in many ways warranted, but is certainly not, um, not correct when you consider it's, um, the perception of Boston, certainly, just nationally, and I yeah. believe that um, you know it would serve the community of Boston to you know where like to to basically um, almost underwrite marketing and a marketing yeah. and sort of comms sort of brand awareness initiative with partner with partners and organizations like Hack as sort of like the beneficiary beneficiaries um, to have you know the the sort of media producers, the storytellers of Boston, of which there are many sitting on the sidelines. I'm blessed to be friends with a lot of them. And I say on the sidelines because they don't report for outlets anymore because there's not enough journalism coming out of the city. But the idea of really um, producing um, and showcasing a lot of the work that you're doing and profiling the many of those, you know, 70 fellows this year and, and, and all the value, first of all, the value that comes from it, from just showcasing to the world, like, Hey, this is Boston. Like Boston yeah. is a program like Hack Diversity and these seventy fellows of all these different um, diverse backgrounds and and the amazing things that they're aspiring to do in their lives and then like yep. Boston's also like their Mike their individual stories and then like their individual stories while helping tell the story of Boston are also advantageous to showcase to future employers um, yep. and so there's just like a lot of benefits, there's a lot of benefits when you start thinking about like the um, sort of production meets sort of brand awareness um initiative you know globe you know nationally we'll say for now um yeah. where you can really improve boston's reputation you can improve improve boston's pipeline of talent you can improve you know hack diversities and more broadly like you know boston sort of diversity initiative we'll call it that you're a big part of like improve yeah. the numbers and awareness through which like hopefully like a big rising tide can lift to all the boats.
1: Yes, definitely. And and we um, de- are definitely in need of someone who can tell the story, like the richness of all the stories that we have in our community. It, it what, what what we currently have been putting out does not do it justice. Um, and, I, and I know we're bumping up against, against time, so I do want to like share um, my like kind of take. I think an important point that I want to leave listeners with, if they've made it to this point, yeah. is um, I think sometimes we often, oversimplifying like how we find talent like because it's the narrative or, or, or I think a lot of people hear from employers is that there isn't enough talent there isn't enough talent and we're, we're just like we need talent um and, and I think that is true to an extent but how of see? we're we're not finding things out of nowhere we're just tapping into the full potential of the of what's local um, and so in, in the 2018 right. impact report um, we have, if, if you're able to take a look on our website, or impact or over the last year, we really, we really did, did like kind of deep, deeper features from some of fellows the and their experiences, um, and the the. Consider that the employers did not did not miss these applications in the pile. And consider that they were filtered out through standard evaluation practices or perceptions of you know being a school on a on a, on a table or maybe like the margins aren't are like exactly in the right place um, wow. in, in that that speaks to your, your detail orientation or what have you to um, have gotten to where they are now. Uh, the hack team, the fellows, managers, and managers uh, mentors. Um, all invested in doing their share and that had a responsibility in making each step of the employee lifecycle more equitable, um, with ample room to like just gain and advance momentum. So it really requires everybody to do their share, uh, and it's not just oh like hack is finding talent out of nowhere um, because we we invest everyone invests a lot of time, energy, capital in all senses of the word. To um, ensure that this person not only is, you know, someone you want to hire, but someone you can and should consider for a growth and, and uh, of, of them and the organization in, in how you make business decisions and factoring those perspectives into your business decisions.
2: Yeah,
0: that's fascinating. Um, one of the things I want to make sure that we will, we'll link to in the, in the final story that will go up on, on our medium blog and also on Boston. O will be that that 2019 hack diversity impact report. Um, it's, it, it's both eye opening that, you know, employers would just miss, you know, historically these applications in the pile and the reasons why, but, but sort of the work that's going in, um, by the hack team, fellows, managers, you know, mentors to help, um, you know, create a a more inclusive process. So, So through which, you know, you know, pathways aren't shut off from plenty of of, of valuable candidates. And I'm, and I'm careful in saying this and not saying like, Oh, because they're, you know, because, because folks maybe come from more humble upbringings, they're hard, they're harder working. But I mean, anecdotally speaking, from my experience, those that come from more humble, modest upbringings are really hardworking. And so it's like, you know, there's like, there's just an incredible like amount of, um, intelligence, um, And and loyalty and and sort of um, and 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 a level of work ethic that kind of you know combined with that from um, from a from a group of talent you know from a from a talent pool that you know has historically been underrepresented um, certainly in in the innovation economy the tech economy and as this world as our global economy shifts sort of like a tech driven you know global labor economy. it is on all of us woke people that listen to podcasts and listen to Zach's video and Angela Lou go on for an hour about this stuff to like, you know, think of just what's the, what's the little ways we can be a part of like the brick by brick, you know, layering. And I'm really grateful, Angela, that you, um, that you, you know, you're such an integral part of the change and I've had the opportunity to get to, to know you, um, so much more through this conversation. Like I really look forward to, um, working together, hopefully closely in the months and, and, and years ahead. Like I'm really grateful for the time that you, that you spent today. And, um, and yeah, like just, you know, if there's any parting words you have for the community, like I want to, I, I want to make sure I give us both the opportunity to. Um, to To kind of take a breath and and jump back into the to the next few calls we have today, but this has been an absolute pleasure. I, r- I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think right back at you. Like, thank you so much for your time and and um, for having me and. And I just really enjoyed this conversation, and I can speak about this for another two hours, if you will happy. Um, but I, I think like a takeaway for our action, we to say at Hack is, um, we would love for you to reach out and see, like you know, explore how you would want to get started in your your journey, either as an individual or as an organization. Um, we have many. Opportunities available to to engage with us, uh, or um, recommend other Mission Atlanta organizations uh, who are doing this work, uh, doing great work, um, who you might be that you might be interested in learning about. Um, and then the other point is, I know I shared a bunch of, um, I referenced a bunch of uh, data earlier. Feel free to fact check me, um, and uh, for Zach or or the audience, and let me know if I've said anything that. Uh, Mr. Mark, or is inaccurate, uh, would really value that education for myself.
0: Amazing, Angela, your your um, your humility does not go unnoticed for me. For me, um, and I and I really believe that um, the mission that Hack Diversity on is is a righteous one, but it's it's really valuable and important that the, the folks sort of at the helm leading, um, leading against that mission are, are critical. Um, and so hack diversity is in good hands with you. Um, uh, this has been a pleasure. I'll,
1: um, i be, I'll
0: be, I'll be in touch. I'll be in touch soon about getting, the, I'm looking forward to getting this story out to the community and you, you have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Thank you. You too. All
0: right. All right. Cheers, Boston.